You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Uh, there was a time in uh, <clears throat> my life early, early on. We'd only been married maybe just a little bit more than a year. Um, for work, I found myself standing outside the gate of uh, one of these shipyards in Detroit. Um, it's one of these shipyards where our foreign steel coming in to Detroit. Um, it's interesting because at this point in time, there's this huge, huge thing about U.S. steel and all this, you know, went embargo, you know, and save our auto dealerships. But you know who the biggest importers of foreign steel was? Our auto people. So it was just, it was an interesting thing. But here, so I find myself standing outside the gate and uh, <clears throat> seven in the morning and some days it's just, it's just really hot and other days it's really cold and during the time of the season and what happens then, a little after seven, the foreman walks out and, uh, and he says, all right, either there's no shipping today, we don't need you, go home. Or he says, I need 15 guys. You, 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 come on in. And the rest of you go home. Um, and so that was, that was an interesting, interesting season of life. Um, because you're, um, for me, you know, I grew up, you know, in a certain environment, but I was not in that environment standing there outside the shipyards out down River Rouge uh, in Detroit. And uh, a very different type of person and uh, different, uh, different uh, um, experiences, different social environment, different economic environment. It, it was uh, very interesting, uh, to say the least. But unlike the other 30 or so men who are usually there at the gate with me, I had an inside connection. The foreman who came out to the gate every morning um, was an elder in the church where I served as a youth pastor prior, and he liked me. Um, so I got picked every day. I, I, walk, I, didn't, I didn't walk up there wondering, am I going to get picked? I knew I was going to get picked. That I, in fact, after about a week or so, he told me just to walk in. I didn't even have to wait at the gate any longer. So I wasn't destitute. I wasn't destitute. I, I wasn't living on the streets. And, but I know what it's like to be dependent upon the good graces of someone else. Now, we see the same dynamic playing out in the story of Ruth. Now, when we left the story last week, Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons, and she's re- returned from neighboring Moab. They left um, during a famine, where re- and she was returning back to her homeland in Israel, Bethlehem to be specific. And she was accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Um, Ruth was a Moabite woman, and so Ruth obviously was a widow as well. So you have these two widows, um, sojourning back to Israel. Naomi was broken. She was destitute. And she was bitter. She was bitter over the course her life had taken. She even blamed God for the way things turned out. She made this comment there at the end of chapter one. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Which meant pleasant. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And she said, call me Mara which means bitter. And uh, one of the big takeaways from last week is that God does some of his best work in the midst of our adversity. Well, in chapter two, the story shifts to Ruth. And uh, in verse one, we're gonna read actually the first three verses uh, as we kind of set the context for this morning. 
So Ruth chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now remember, Elimelech was Naomi's husband. Okay? Um, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the story of Ruth. And as we learn about her situation, how she responded um, in such a time of adversity, in such a time which could have been perceived as being hopeless, uh, Father, but Lord, in the midst of that, as she put one foot in front of the other and as she did what she knew to do, you met her there and you provided in ways she could not have even imagined. Uh, so Lord, we, we, we approach this story with hope and expectation and, and encouragement, knowing that you have the same position towards us this morning. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, now, a couple things to note here. Um, within this story. Now, again, remember, Elimelech that we're talking about is Naomi's husband. So Boaz, we're learning here, is a relative. He's wealthy. He's in good standing. He's a prominent uh, leader within the family clan. Um, What we don't know is, is he a a cousin? Is he, you know, an uncle? We don't know the nature of the relationship, just that they are related. A couple things here. If we could get, um, um, Jen, if I could get the the, um, first slide up. I think the first one. Yeah, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. Um, some of the translations um, actually use the word glean. Um, and what some of you may have read that. The word glean there, it's used there. And wh- here's what would happen. Is, this is what this would look like. You'd have the men who would be walking through the barley fields or the wheat fields, and they'd reach down and they'd grab a clump, or, you know, as much as they could with one hand. And with the other hand, have a hand sickle. They would uh, um, cut the grain. But then with the, the bundle in their hand, they would just leave it on the ground. They would set it down. And so they would just work their way through, just, just, keep, just work their way through it and set it down. Behind them then typically were a group of women who would gather up what had been cut and bundle it together and then, and then carry it off and, and to storage places, whatever they need. Actually, do, were they going to do the, the grinding it up at that point in time? Um, behind the women then were poor people. Um, destitute people, um, even uh, talks about them being foreigners was sometimes, but people who were not doing well, they would go behind the women and pick up what they missed, pick up the leftovers. Um, and so that was what we're seeing here. Now, this, this idea of going behind the people who were you know, uh, um, harvesting the barley and collecting leftovers was actually part of Israelite law. So this was not something that, you know, they had to get permission to. The, the landowners were required to allow people to do this. We find this in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, God was telling Moses, and Moses instructed the people, when you reap the harvest on your, of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. <laughs> they said, do what I say. But he said, said, don't go all the way to the edge. Leave the corners. Leave some of it. Be generous in how you're harvesting. And then Deuteronomy chapter 24 says, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. 
Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So this was expected behavior and what was supposed to happen then. So Ruth was doing something that was very common in those days and very normal to go behind those who were harvesting and um, pick up what was left over. <clears throat> now, remember last week I said, you know, the story of Ruth is kind of like a Hallmark movie. Um, you know, one of the characteristics of Hallmark movies is that the viewer, those of us watching the movie, know what's going on, but those in the story don't. You know, you see the woman, and you see her situation, and you see the man, and we know what's happening, but they don't understand what's happening and what's going on. Well, the writer of Ruth does something very similar. He has the same idea. He introduces Boaz to the reader, very first verse in chapter 2. He's a wealthy relative of Naomi's late husband, but neither Naomi nor Ruth are aware of him yet. So we know as the reader, as we're reading the story, we, we, wait, there's this guy, Boaz, now, he doesn't leave us hanging too long because in verse 3, he mentions, well, he's the family person, but we're left hanging. And we're, we're, but, you know, so we're told that Ruth is gleaning in the fields of Boaz, but she doesn't know who Boaz is. She has no idea who he is. And then Boaz shows up later that morning and inquires about this stranger gleaning in the fields, uh, and he learns that she's the Moabite daughter, uh, daughter-in-law of Naomi. And as you read the story, you find out that, that Boaz is moved by her commitment and dedication to Naomi. And so because of that, he tells Ruth, he said, glean, don't just hang back and catch the scraps. You can go up with the women where all the clumps are and you can glean up there. And then he tells the man, and, and he said, asked, he said, listen, if you get thirsty, listen, don't worry about, just, we've already got pots here, the men, uh, go, go get water there. And then he tells the men, leave her alone. So if you see her, you know, she's a foreigner. She's not supposed to be, she's not part of our staff. You know, she's outside of our group. Leave her alone. I've given her permission to this letter be. Um, and so that's the situation Ruth finds herself. So see, that wasn't normal. That was different behavior in letting her do that. So at the end of the day, Ruth goes home to Naomi and tells her all that had happened. And uh, it's quite, an, quite a great story. And this is when the writer of the story connects all the dots for everyone. And uh, Ruth has been working all day in the field of Boaz, but she has no idea who he is. Naomi has no idea where Ruth has been, but she knows all about Boaz. She knows about his reputation, who he is. When Naomi learns that Ruth has been working in the field of Boaz, Boaz she gets very excited. Um, and she refers to Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. Um, and it's a, a kinsman redeemer is a legal term for one who has an obligation to redeem a, le, a, a relative in serious difficulty. Now, some people refer to this as the kinsman redeemer as has to do with the marriage and the progeny and that kind of stuff. It's not in this instance. It's not what's being, that's not what he's talking about here. What's happening right here, this idea of a kinsman redeemer comes from Leviticus chapter 25. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Boaz had an obligation to help them financially and to help them out in life. And that's what's happening here. If you look at the discussion between Naomi and Ruth, it's how are we going to live? How are we going to survive? That's what's at stake here. They're not even thinking about... Uh, um, marriage at this point in time. 
So chapter two ends with us learning Ruth worked in the field of Boaz until the end of the barley, and it says, and the wheat harvest. Barley harvest lasted about seven weeks. Wheat harvest came after that was another four weeks or so. So it's possibly up to three months that Ruth is working in the fields of Boaz. And it says that during this time, Ruth continued to live with Naomi. So whereas chapter one ends with Naomi in great despair, chapter two ends with her knowing that her needs will be met. They're okay. They're going to make it. They're not going to be destitute. They're going to be okay. They're going to be fine. Now, in the beginning of chapter three, Naomi determines that widowhood is not the future for Ruth. Now is when we get this idea of, all right, we got to find you a husband. This is possibly three months into the, the thing. Up until then, there's really no suggestion that there's anything beyond just the, we need to get our needs met here. And she tells Ruth that she's going to find a husband for her. This was back in the day, obviously, when you had some matching. And, uh, but I don't know, if I had a parent tell me, I'm going to go find you a spouse. I get a little nervous. You know, who's that going to be? And um, um, you, you get to wonder what those dynamics, what those conversations looked like um, at that time. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of what happens here because it's, it's actually, honestly, it's a very convoluted story. Commentary after commentary after commentary, no one knows the significance of some of the actions she has. They can speculate till they're blue in the face, but everyone ends up saying, yeah, but we're really not sure. There's a lot of innuendos, a lot of things that are being said, but basically, Naomi instructs Ruth how to, how, how to find out if Boaz will, in fact, marry her. And... and, and Naomi follows her instructions, does what she says, and basically Naomi proposes to Boaz. Boaz accepts the proposal, um, but says, wait a minute, there's someone ahead of me in line here as far as who has rights to you. Um, and I got to remember back in this point in time, women were either, if you were unmarried, you, were the, you belonged to your father. If you were married, you belonged to your husband. And so that we learned that a relative closer to Naomi than Boaz existed and was in, they're off in the periphery. Um, and that, but Boaz said, listen, if he declines, then we'll get married. You know, and so there's this, again, remember I said the hallmark, at the 40-minute mark, something happens and everything you look at is going to fall apart and, oh, no. Uh, but... Um, Boaz not only redeems Naomi's property, but he also takes Ruth to be his wife, and then they live happily ever after. Um, again, I, I, I kept out a lot of the details, but it, that's essentially what, what, uh, how the story plays out. Now, Dave was talking a little bit earlier about, and, uh, during communion about this idea of grace, and grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. It's unearned. You, you can't earn grace. It's, it's at the complete discretion of the one giving it. Ruth's story is one of grace. Boaz had an obligation to help Naomi and Ruth. But he went above and beyond what was expected. He showed grace. He not only restored all hope for the future, he also redeemed them back into the family to which they belonged. That was as, as important as anything else. It's the fact that they were no longer on the periphery. They were brought back into the family from which they came. Now, there are a number of parallels between the grace Boaz gave Ruth and the grace Christ gave to us. 
In the story of Ruth, we see a picture of grace. Grace that directs us to a solution. Ruth 2, she says, So Naomi uh, went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out, um, is tongue-in-cheek. He, the, the writer here throughout this whole story is continually reminding us of God's providence and God working behind the intentionality of what God was doing. For him to actually say that as it turned out, it was, it was kind of like, you know, the wink, wink, you know, the as it, you know, type of thing. He's doing whatever he do to convey that this wasn't an accident. There was intent here um, all the way through. The author leaves no doubt that God was working unseen, perhaps, but he was working to bring about his desired outcome in the life of both Naomi and Ruth. Neither of them knew how their situation would end. But as they set out to do the best they could, God intervened. I think that's important because sometimes we think that we're just going to wait, 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 wait. And we don't do anything. We just wait. Time and time again, what we see God providing, God giving us direction answers is as we go as we move, as we step out. Nothing, none of the story would have happened had Naomi and decided to stay in Moab and live there. She decided, no, we got to go back. Ruth decided, I'm going back with you. Ruth decided, I'm going out to work in the fields. We need to eat. We got to figure something out here. In the midst of the going through life, of just trying to figure out doing the best they could, God intervened. We don't know how Ruth ended up in the fields of Boaz, but she did. Again, it's not as if today you have these farms where they're all marked and, you know, very clear property lines. And back in the day, you didn't. Things were kind of overlapped and mingled, and she found herself in the fields of Boaz. And we don't know how, but she did. Similarly, not only did God choose us before we chose him, but he guides us into an encounter with his grace that is the solution for our sin. Again, I just want to say, just, just, I don't want that. Ruth didn't just sit around waiting for someone to show up her door offering to fix all her problems. She was simply doing what she knew to do, just to survive. But as she stepped out in faith, God met her in ways um, and we see the result of that in the, the story as it unfolds. In the story of Ruth, we see a picture of grace that directs us to a solution. In the story of Ruth, we also see a picture of grace that provides for our needs. This is a solution to all of my problems. Publisher's Clearinghouse, sweepstake. <laughs> Thousand bucks a day, right here, baby. got a stamp on it already. And if you, and, and are you bold enough to admit that you do this too? I don't do it often, but it's like, okay, a few, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, the, I, I get it. The odds of winning are so minuscule. It's a wasted stamp. I get that. I get that. But it's really fun to think about now and then what I would do with the money if I, if I did. I mean, what the, I mean just, just, it's just kind of a fun thing to think about. Here's the thing. God never promised us a life of leisure and luxury and ease. He promised to meet our needs. 
Now, at the same time, one doesn't have to look far to see that God meets, does not meet needs equally. Odds are good that there are other foreign women gleaning in the fields in, behind Boaz's work group, just like Ruth. Yet he did not choose them, he did not choose to help them like he did Ruth. It's easy to compare ourselves to others and think God isn't helping me like we think he should. Two thoughts about that. One is that your life's chapter isn't finished yet. Don't give up hope. Keep at it. Keep working. In the meantime, choose to see the positive. Choose to see the positive. Um, This past Friday, uh, Betsy and I took dinner over and ate with Mike and Amber Price. And I think, you know, they're known to all of you. And, um, you know, Parker, I think is four now. Is he six? Almost six? Okay. Okay. and um, he has this very, very rare genetic disease. I, I didn't realize how rare. He's only like one of only 200-some kids in the country that has this. The world, that, that's even more rare. Um, so very, very rare. Um, the struggles, I mean, I think most of you know their story. You're familiar with it. So I don't know that I need to go. Um, um, uh, but Parker, uh, it's a KCNQ2, I think. It's, it's something with the potassium... He has no muscle control. Um, and so basically, I mean, he can't, he, he's totally dependent on help. He can't speak. We are learning that he's able to, he's able to communicate now. He's got these little buzzers where he can, he can get his hand over to hit yes and no. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to, to see some things you know, here Mike and Amber talk about. But here's the thing. Um, the struggles they face are amazing. And hear about the first year of Parker's life where it's just nonstop incessant crying. Um, just never stopped. And how they manage that, I have no idea. Now, Mike was telling us a story, though. One time he said he's putting Parker in the car seat. And I guess Parker hates car seats. Just screams bloody murder. Just doesn't like them. And, and Mike was frustrated. And, he says, and he's talking to Parker. Why are you doing this? And it's like, it's a beautiful day. I mean, we're going for a ride. It's, it's such a nice, why can't you appreciate all the good things, you know, that are going on around you? And Mike says, in that moment, God spoke to me. He says, why can't you appreciate all the good things going on around you? And he said, from that moment on, I've never second-guessed our life. I've never, want, I never again wondered why is this happening, what's going on here I've chosen to focus on all the good things that God has given to us. We've made a choice. Now, and if you know Mike and Amber, they both embody that to a T. They are positive people. They look at the bright side. They're not oblivious to all this stuff there, but they're they're just genuine people. And I just love that about them, that they embody this, that they choose to be grateful. So this idea of God meeting our needs, recognizing that it's going to look different for all of us, but in the midst of it, let's continue to have hope, but also let's focus on what God is, has done and is doing and on the positive that is going on in our life. Just like he did with Ruth, I'm convinced that God has taken the initiative to be generous and gracious, meeting us at our point of need, and he is working for our good. I find great hope in the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In the story of Ruth, we see a picture of grace that provides for our needs. We also see a picture of grace that redeems us from our past, sometimes from our present. Because Ruth was a Moabite, she was outside the covenant relationship with God. And due to the circumstances of life, you know, as a widow, she found herself destitute and needing help. She needed someone to do for her what she could not do for herself. I've also just discovered that due to circumstances of life or the poor choices we make, many of us have things in our past we'd like to change. Unfortunately, we can't go back in and do what has been done, but we can have our past forgiven. Romans 8 tells us, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace redeems us from our past. Lastly, the story of Ruth, we see a picture of grace that positions us for a greater future. Um, we didn't uh, read this, but at, at the end of chapter 4, um, we see that Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. <clears throat> ah, that actually has a different version. I had to re- make sure there's no kids here because it's actually a little more graphic in my version as to what happened here. Um, so, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Um, I just love that. The actions of Boaz changed the lives of Naomi and Ruth forever. What they didn't realize at the time, it wasn't just their lives that would change. All of human history would change. The story ends with, um, as sometimes in the Old Testament, they've got these really weird habits sometimes of putting these genealogies in. And it's essentially, it's your, it's your, it's your calling card. It's your, it's, this is proves, this is how you know you're authentic. This is how you're legitimate. It's who, you, who you're connected with, who you, what family line you come from. So the story ends in chapter four, and it says this. It says, Boaz was the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Ruth went from being a widow in a foreign country without hope to becoming the great-grandmother of King David. And by God's grace, she became a part of the lineage of Jesus himself. God did not save us just to get us to heaven. He desires to reveal his grace in our lives on a daily basis, bringing us to a greater future. Paul again tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what no eye has seen and no ear heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer who has sought us out and redeemed us so that we might be part of God's family and share in his goodness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, so much for this, the story of Ruth. And there's so many cool things that are happening here. And um, it, it really is a hallmark kind of a, a story. But uh, 
for me, it gives me hope uh, that, that, that these things happen. And we see especially how you worked in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And it just gives me hope, Lord God, for my life and for others and that you are still at work, that you don't just put things in motion and say you're on your own. Lord, I don't understand how you work all the time and I don't understand why you do some of the things you do or why you don't do some of the things I think you should, but here's what I am confident of, Lord God, is that you are, you are at work. And I can trust that and I can find hope in that and, and I can be confident of that and I can trust that. So Lord, if there's any among us this morning who are struggling um, with their circumstances in life, I ask God that you would replace fear and anxiety with hope. Father, that in place of dread, they would have a sense of expectation. Instead of wondering how things will work out, they're going to look forward to seeing, Lord God, what you're going to do next. So Lord, I ask and pray again that you would show yourself strong, that you would reveal yourself in our lives as you did with Naomi and Ruth. Lord, that we too would be able to encourage others and and be a testimony to others of your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, for those of us for whom we might find ourselves waiting, what might seem to be an extra long time for that answer, God, give us grace. Give us grace, Lord God, to to live with hope, to live with um, a sense of gratitude that whatever this challenge might be doesn't preoccupy us, doesn't um, overwhelm us and dominate every aspect of our life, but that we're able to release it to you. It doesn't change the fact we want to see it change, but Lord, we can rest in the fact that you are God and you love us and you are working on our behalf. Uh, so Lord, we can continue to put our lives into your hands. We trust you. Give us wisdom to know what steps to take next. And as we move forward, Lord God, may you provide the circumstances and the divine appointments, if necessary, that will cause your purposes to be worked out in us and through us. We're your children. And in that, we can find hope and, and, and faith and encouragement. And that's our posture today. Lord, we're grateful for who you are and our relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.